Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So this week we are focusing on love and the role it plays in forgiveness. The role it plays in forgiveness. Now forgiveness can be tough because it implies that we have been wronged. If you haven't been wronged or no one's offended you or, or done anything against you or committed, it, committed some kind of wrong to you, then there's no need for you to forgive them, correct? You would, you, you would have to have been wronged for forgiveness to be needed to be given from you to someone else. It is in our human nature to hold a grudge. Now, we know this from Scripture because it tells us that we, as when we are born, newborn babies, and we have one here tonight that is growing like a weed, and we're just so, we're, we're, we're glad that she's here tonight. But she, um, um, every one of us, including her and, and myself, were all born into sin. We were born into a fallen condition, and Scripture makes that very, very clear. But as I was doing my research this week, I ran across a study from the University of California, Irvine, that was published earlier this year in January of 2020. And this study um, took uh, several thousand children in five or six different scenarios. And what it did is it, it compared their reactions to people who were sharing with them and then people who were stealing from them. And people who were, well, when there was an environment where there was a forced sharing, how did they react to being forced to share their toy or their candy or whatever it was that they had? And it, and it came out with some phenomenal results, but there's one in particular, a statement that was made that I want to read that would summarize this complete study. It was made by Nadia Cherniak. And if Nadia, you ever watch this, I apologize for butchering your last name right there, but she is the UC Irvine Assistant Professor of Cognitive Science and lead author of the study. And this is one of her summary statements of that study that was focused on those children that were put in those positions. We found that children intuitively hold grudges, but have to be taught how to show gratitude. They intuitively hold judges. What does that mean? It is in our nature. Here we find a scientific study finally catching up with what the Bible has been telling us for more than 1,800 years, right? That it is a natural position for us as human beings to hold a grudge. And if holding grudges is natural for the fallen and fleshly nature of human beings, then the desires for retaliation and vengeance are not far behind. I'm going to say that one more time. If holding grudges is natural for the fallen and fleshly nature of human beings, then the desires for retaliation and vengeance are not far behind. So here we are as believers in Christ. Let's put ourselves in this scenario real quick where someone has done us wrong and we naturally want to hold the grudge and naturally leads us down this path to, to revenge and vengeance and, and these types of attitude. But the Holy Spirit is living inside us. If you're a believer in Christ, the Spirit of God's in you and He is giving you another option, another way, a better way to handle these scenarios. And I want to go back to what um, the, the, the scripture that we've been using the last couple of weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, and remind us what the, what, what the Spirit of God, what the Bible would tell us about love. 
Love is patient and kind. It is, not, it is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It isn't irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It's a big one. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So here we are as believers in Christ. When someone has wronged us, we have this natural reaction on this side, but we have God's word and his spirit, which is bearing fruit in us. And the first fruit of the spirit is love. So we have these 15 characteristics of love on one side, and we have this natural fleshly reaction to when people do us wrong on the other, and we are put in the position to choose. We're put in the position to say, how am I going to respond? What am I going to follow? And so what I want to do today is I want to look at three of the characteristics that were mentioned in that scripture we just read, 1 Corinthians 13. I want to look at three of those characteristics that point us to forgiveness. Number one, love keeps no record of being wronged. It keeps no record of being wronged. And in earlier translation, and if you're, taking, if you're following along with the notes and you're taking notes, the word used earlier in the translation is resentful. Love is not resentful. Those things mirror each other because to, to, to have resentment means that you have harbored something in your heart. You are keeping a record of wrong. In the original language, this word is, um, I'm not even going to about to butcher this Greek word, uh, L-O-G-I, Z-O-M-A. In the South, we would say logozomai, and I guarantee you that's wrong. So L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. This is the, the, the original word the Bible uses for resentful, not, not being resentful or holding a grudge. And this is the definition. To reckon inward, to count up or weigh the reasons, to compute, calculate, suppose, deem or judge what we're being instructed to as believers to not do is count up or weigh all the reasons that we have been wronged now if i'm honest with you um i can make this far worse on myself if someone does me wrong i can very vividly remember exactly what happened to make it wrong and i can put that moment and that memory of that wrongdoing in my mind and in my heart and then I can start running off on a tangent. And when Matt is not close to the Lord and spending time with him regularly and in his word, I lean towards following this fleshly nature. And let me tell you something I personally, I'm sure none of you have ever done this, but something that I have done and can do very easily. I can look at the offense of being wronged and say, but why did they do that? And without having anyone to talk to except for myself, I can talk myself into figuring out, I know why they did that. They don't like me. They knew that what they said would hurt me or or cause me some type of anger or hurt in my heart or in my spirit. And they obviously knew it, so they don't like me. And I went to coffee with them a couple weeks ago, and we seemed like we were good. And then, oh, last week... They talked to Brian instead of me. It started last week. And I can create a long list of things that may not even be true 
that go along with this one offense. I can keep a record of it. I can make a list. I can go over it again and again and again. And the longer I sit with it and keep that record of wrong and grow and, and, and stew over it, resentment begins to grow in my heart. This is what the Bible is saying, that if we really are pursuing love, we will not do this when it comes to people who have offended us. We have to wipe the record clean. Well, it seems like a good idea, Matt. Yeah, I understand why you're, I understand that we're supposed to, but why are we supposed to do that? Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14 says this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Why in the world do we need to wipe the record clean? Why do we need to follow this leading of the Spirit in love? and give forgiveness, and when we forgive, wipe someone's record clean? Why do we need to do that? We must remember that Jesus first forgave us. He forgave me. Scripture is very clear that every single person has sinned and fallen short. Everyone. And if we say we have not sinned, then the Bible actually calls us a liar. Everybody has fallen short of God's glorious standard. But when it comes to wiping the record clean of someone who has hurt me or done something against me or wronged me in some way, I have to remember I have offenses against God. I have done things in my life, all of us have, that are opposite of how God wants us to live, opposite of how Scripture lines out for us to live. We have said hurtful words. We have done hurtful things. And He has forgiven us. And in that same way that we have been forgiven, we have to turn to the One who has offended us, who has hurt us, who has wronged us, and wipe the record clean. Right before Jesus was taken to be crucified, the the day before, he had a meal that we often refer to as the Last Supper. And he tells his disciples something very important. Matthew 26, 26 through 28. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, Take this and eat it, for it is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them to, he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. Listen to this last line. It, his blood, is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Jesus' blood was poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of who? Oh, well, me, right? That just means me? Or my family? Or my friends? Or my church? Or the people I'm cool with? No. It was given 
for the sins of many. And that word many in the original language means a large group of people. You know who that large group of people? Anyone who asks Jesus to forgive them of their sins, confesses him, and believes in their heart that he is Lord. The forgiveness of God is not reserved just for the people that we like. Ooh, that was a tough one for me this week. So I'm going to repeat it, if not for you, for me. <clears throat> the forgiveness of God is not reserved only for the people that we like. Jesus will forgive anyone, anyone who confesses their sin and truly believes in him. This includes people who may have wronged us in the past. You can see that in 1 John 1 and 9. We wipe the record clean for people who have offended us because Jesus' forgiveness is literally available to anyone and he first forgave me. Love keeps no record of being wronged. Number two, love does not rejoice at injustice. In an earlier translation, it says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. That's a, that's a line there in your notes if you're following along with notes. <clears throat> it does not rejoice at injustice. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. The original word for wrongdoing in the scripture is adikia. And the definition for that word is injustice, unrighteousness of heart and life, a deed violating law injustice or an act of unrighteousness. Now, since we have a natural tendency to hold a grudge and we want vengeance or, or payback to someone, this is not just specifically looking at us and going, hey, don't do, if someone did you wrong, don't do them wrong. It goes a little bit deeper. It's not only telling us to not do wrong back to someone who has wronged us. It's it's dealing with a heart issue that has definitely lived inside of me before. This not only speaks to us personally retaliating, but also includes us being happy when payback happens to that person indirectly. Let me give you an example. When someone does something wrong to me, I may want to run up and kick them in the shins, you know, to pay them back. You hurt me, I want to hurt you, right? But as a believer, you can kind of get into this rule-based thing and go, I'm not supposed to do that, and so I'm, I'm not going to do that, and you better be lucky I'm a Christian because you could still catch these hands even though I'm saved, you know, or whatever. <clears throat> but you sit over here and stew in it, and then you watch this person who has done you wrong, and then somebody you weren't even expecting comes into the scene and they do them wrong. And there's a little bit of joy in us when we go, you got what was coming to you, sucker. <laughs> now, there is an idea that is in our culture and has actually kind of seeped its way into the church, and that is an incorrect belief of this word called karma. We think, well, man, if you're going to do that, it's going to come back and get you. And karma is going to going to come back. If you hurt somebody else, karma says it's, you're going to get hurt. 
and we sit and rejoice and have some satisfaction and joy and delight in, des- in, in that happening to someone. That is a pagan idea that doesn't belong anywhere in the life of believers and Christians. It's a Hindu idea. Why is that wrong, Matt? I mean, they got what was coming to them, right? Yeah, but um, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. They got what was coming to them. They, they, they did me wrong and they got it back and I have a little bit of satisfaction. And if that is us, we have an area of our heart that is not being led by love. How do you do that? How do you let this go? How do we, how do we not seek any payback? How is, how is that even reasonable for us to be asked to let that go? Luke 6, 27 through 36 makes it very clear. But to you who are willing to listen, I say this, and I pray every single person who hears this is willing to listen. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And you who do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate as your Father is compassionate. Matt, you're telling me to do good to those who did me wrong? You're telling me pray for those who hurt me? Um, Again, I'm not. The Scripture is. How in the world are we supposed to do that? How in the world am I supposed to take this wound that I have in my heart? It feels like it's aching, it's bleeding out. How in the world am I supposed to take this and just be like, oh, it's good, man? Let me ask you a question. If every person in the world acted the way Jesus outlined in Scripture, would we need to exercise forgiveness as much as we do today? If every person, every person that you know, every family member, every relative, even your crazy uncle that sleeps in the basement sometimes, if you have one of those, um, or any you know, crazy family member, if you have friends, people you work with, everybody in the world, if every single person acted in the way that Jesus has lined out for us to act, would we have to forgive as much? No. We would need to forgive because we're, we're imperfect individuals, but the level of forgiveness and, the, and the, the purposeful wrongdoing to other people would be almost non-existent if everyone acted like Jesus. 
So I want you to hear me very clear. Those who wrong us are not acting in the way that Jesus commands. Those who wronged us are not following His commandments. If their hearts were truly submitted to Christ, they would not purposely hurt others. This means that any wrong that is done to us may appear to be a personal attack on the surface, but the root cause is a heart that is not submitted to Christ. I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to just take a moment and let that sink in. When someone hurts you, they do something wrong, and that you're what, man, they don't deserve forgiveness. I don't want to forgive them. I don't want to let this go. They need to, something needs to happen to them. At that point, we have to remember that if they had a heart that was submitted to Christ, they would not have done that thing to us. But they called me out directly. They mentioned me by name. They came at me directly and personally. I understand that. But that is not the base, the foundation, the root of what just happened. What happened was they have a heart that is not submitted to God. Matt, is that supposed to make all the hurt go away? No. But understanding this can help reduce the lasting sting from others' hurtful actions while leading us into a position of repaying evil with good and praying for those who have wronged us. If you're a believer in Christ, you understand that this entire world is temporary. It's temporary. There is an eternity waiting for followers of Christ in heaven, and there is another eternity waiting for people who do not believe in Jesus, who have not submitted their life to Him. That is eternal separation in hell from God. Is it more important that we get payback? Is it more important that we do wrong back to the people who have wronged us? Is it more important for you hurt me so I'm going to hurt you or I'm going to be happy when someone else hurts you? Or is it more important to forgive, wipe the slate clean, not be happy when any wrong is done even to the people who have wronged us and realize that their unsubmitted heart might be costing them eternity with Christ? We as believers have to look at the bigger picture and say, I want people with me in heaven, not an eternal torment and separation from God. So of course, I'm going to example what has been done for me from God, the forgiveness that He has given me. I'm going to example that to others to show them there is another way and understand that that hurt probably isn't as personal as it feels. There is a heart or a part of it that is not submitted to God that would act in that way. The third thing, love bears all things. It bears all things. This word bears in the original language is stego, stego, S-T-E-G-O. 
The definition of this word is it is to protect or keep by covering or preserve. To cover with silence, to keep secret, to hide, to conceal the errors and faults of others. Now I want to stop real quick and, and say something to clarify the context of what, what is being presented to us here. This concept has been misunderstood by many believers in church throughout history. And you may think that, oh man, anything that I see somebody doing that is wrong, I can never say anything about it if, if I'm a believer. I, I can't really call them out because that, you know, I'm not supposed to be, uh, I'm not supposed to be um, outing these people. I'm not supposed to be, um, I got to bear all these things as according to what the scripture says. I, I got to keep it. I got to cover up um, these errors. And what happens is, is people take this too far and they actually become an accomplice to what's been done wrong. They become an accomplice to an incorrect or wrongdoing. That's not what this scripture says. The scripture is lining out something very specific. And in the Adam Clark biblical commentary, it, it gave a very good synopsis of this that I couldn't describe any better. So I'm just going to read it to you what it says in regards to love bearing all things and covering up the wrongs of other people. Love conceals everything that should be concealed. It betrays no secret. It retains the grace given and goes on to in continual increase. A person under the influence of this love never makes the sins, follies, faults, or imperfections of any man the subject of either censure or conversation. He covers them as far as he can, and if alone privy to them, he retains the knowledge of them in his own bosom as far as he ought to. If someone came to me, and we'll just, you know, John Doe. So John comes up to me, and he tells me over a coffee or during a meeting that he's struggling with um, three things, X, Y, and Z. And he's like, I don't, wanna, I, I don't know what to do. Can you pray for me? Can you help show me some scriptures that, are, are, um, are, that would help me kind of overcome these things? Can you, can you show me some ways that I can kind of get away from these things that I'm struggling with? And we have this conversation, we pray, and then I leave. I've been confided in. Someone has trusted me with their, with their struggles. And then I call Jim. And I go, hey, Jim. Hey, man, just got done meeting with John. Woo! This dude is struggling. He told me that he does this. He told me he does this. And he told me he does this. Can you believe it? We got to stay away from this dude. And it leads us down a path of gossip and self-importance. Anyone who reveals the confidentiality of someone who is trying to say, I'm trying to get better. I need to get over this struggle and goes and blabs that out for everyone is not acting in love. You're not bearing all, you're not bearing all things. This has nothing to do with someone's committing crimes or <laughs> crimes against humanity. There, if someone is, is, is saying, I'm going to hurt myself, or there's certain things that need to be exposed in the correct way, it needs to be brought to light. But this is not what this scripture is talking about. It's saying when someone confides in you something and you use it to gossip 
or spread rumors about them. Matt, how does this deal with forgiveness? Sometimes people who you know very well are the ones who hurt you. And you may know their secrets. You may know what they struggle with. You may have seen them be put in positions where they have had to struggle through and overcome or are still struggling with something. And when someone does us wrong, it is very easy to say, I'm not bearing all things. I'm not covering this up. I've got ammunition to retaliate and fire back at the person who's hurt me. Scripture is telling us that if we love, if we forgive, then we are not going to use those secret private things as ways to annihilate or destroy and assassinate the character of someone else. Again, if it's this massive thing that you go, oh my gosh, this needs to be known, of course. But we're not going to take things that have been given in confidence and turn and use them as the arrows and ammunition we throw in retaliation. Because if we do that, forgiveness is not in us. We have not truly forgiven. We reviewed these three points from the scripture, and if we've truly forgiven someone, we wipe the record clean. We don't delight in payback. We don't expose secrets for the purpose of revenge. This is a lot. And you may be sitting there going, wow, Matt, what's the point? I understand I'm not supposed to do this, but why am I not supposed to do all this? Are you trying to make me some kind of super good person so we can look good as a church to everybody else? Nope. When I read this in Scripture, why is God asking you to do this? He wants us to be some moral giant. No. If morality was a physique, are we supposed to be this 0% body fat like bodybuilder? Is that what we're supposed to be doing, representing how disciplined we are to the world? No. Why do all of this? Why forgive? Why wipe the record clean? Why why do we not delight when someone else has done wrong? Why do we bear all things? Why do we conceal those things and not use them as retaliation? Because number four, the final point for the message today is this. Forgiveness rescues us from death. Forgiveness rescues us from death. During my study this week, I ran across an article from the Mayo Clinic. If you don't know what the Mayo Clinic is, it's a, it's a, a nationally renowned um, medical facility and hospital that does great work for people um, on the medical end. <clears throat> and I, uh, I ran across an article they did on forgiveness. A hospital, a medical establishment, did on forgiveness. And the subtitle is, Why is it so easy to hold a grudge? And I'll, I want to read this to you really quickly. This is from the Mayo Clinic. They said, being hurt by someone, particularly someone you love and trust, can cause anger, sadness, and confusion. 
If you dwell on hurtful events or situations, grudges filled with resentment, vengeance, and hostility can take root. If you allow these negative feelings to crowd out positive ones, you might find yourself swallowed up by your own bitterness and sense of injustice. So what are the effects, the effects of holding a grudge? If you're unforgiving, you might bring anger and bitterness into every relationship and new experience. You might become so wrapped up in the wrong that you can't enjoy the present. You may become depressed or anxious, have a higher level of anxiety. Or you might feel that your life lacks meaning or purpose, or that you're at odds with your own spiritual beliefs. That is directly from an article from a medical organization about what forgiveness and unforgiveness does. Here we have a prominent and leading medical establishment in the world telling us the benefits of forgiving other people. They mentioned bitterness, and I heard this statement that I wanted to pass on to you, that bitterness is like swallowing poison and hoping it hurts someone else. Bitterness is like swallowing poison and hoping it hurts somebody else. Scripture identified the need to get rid of anger and bitterness long ago in Ephesians 4, 30-32. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. This idea of forgiveness and letting people off the hook and not retaliating them for the wrong that they have done was very countercultural to when this was written. You have to remember the Roman army would, would, for sport, fill arenas full of people and watch two men, gladiators, fight until one of them was dead. They watched someone kill someone else for sport. They released the, the, the families, women and children of Christian uh, uh, believers into these arenas and turned lions on them to rip them apart. This was a vicious, get you back type of culture. And here Jesus is in the middle of that telling us that is not the way to live. It was massively countercultural. The physical benefits of forgiving those who have wronged us are very real, but they are not the most important. There are spiritual and eternal implications when we refuse to forgive others. Most of you, I'm sure, have heard of the Lord's Prayer before. I know some football teams or basketball teams that recite it before or after a game or people meet on the field, you know, wherever it is, and they, they, they pray a prayer together, and some of them pray <clears throat> the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. 
you may, may have heard it in a different version, an older type of translation, but you've heard it nonetheless. But this is not where Jesus stops talking. He continues. So that's 9 through 13. He continues talking. Let's read verses 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Matt, it seems like a kind of a contradiction because earlier in the message you said that anyone who who confesses the Lord and believes in their heart about Him, that they will be saved. And as I drilled down into this and, and sought out the answer to that question on my own, I ran across multiple commentaries and theologians who gave great insight to this. If you are struggling with forgiving someone or you want to go to that, that, that position and you want to follow the, the way of love and the way of the Lord, then you will pursue forgiveness. You'll pursue it. But if you refuse to give it, I will not give forgiveness to this person. I will not forgive them. If we have that posture, my friends, it means, it means that we have not submitted our heart to Christ. How will our, friend, our sins not be forgiven? How will they not be washed? How will that happen? It's because we have not truly submitted our heart if we are in the position to say, I refuse, I refuse to forgive. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we kick the dog when he barks in the middle of the message. It also doesn't mean that that we have to be friends with the people who have wronged us. We don't have to go back and be like, man, this was a toxic situation and relationship that hurt me. We don't have to go back and be their best friend. We don't have to go back and be friends for those people. But what it means is that we have to let them off the hook. To stop expecting that something is going to happen on the other end because we're holding on to that in resentment. Forgiveness means we let those who have wronged us off our hook and we put them on God's hook. What does it mean to let somebody off our hook and put them on God's hook? What does that mean? It means that we are going to forgive. We're going to act in love. And we are going to say, I'm not going to continue to resent. I'm not going to continue to have these, keep this record of how I've been wronged by people. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. I'm not going to rejoice. I'm going to deal with my own heart and knowing that if someone wronged me, I would want, I would want something, some form of justice. And so I'm not going to delight when wrong things happen to people who have wronged me. And I'm going to bear all things. I'm not going to use the inside information and secrets I know to, to be ammunition to assault someone who has wronged me. It means that I am going to say, I'm done with this and I forgive. And I'm going to put them in the hands of a righteous, just, 
compassionate, loving, and forgiving God and pray that they never experience His wrath. And pray that they see that the blood of Jesus was shed for them as well for the forgiveness of sins and that they will come into a position of right standing with Him, not of their own work, but through faith in Christ. If I can do that, I have a greater opportunity for the wound that is in my heart to be healed. We almost guarantee that the the wound we sustained by being wronged, we almost guarantee that it will stay open and bleeding as long as we mull over everything that has happened and we don't let it go. I don't want to belittle or, or, or make light of any pain or any wrong that has been done to you or to me because it's very real. I don't want to make light of it, but I want to put that pain in perspective of God's Word and see how am I supposed to respond Because if our greatest commandment is to love God and love people and I haven't forgiven someone, I've got some work to do in this area. I've got some work to do. If that's you and you say, man, I've... When you talked about forgiveness, as soon as I heard that word, the person who did me wrong popped up into my mind. That is because the Spirit of God is bringing them to your remembrance to say... There's something here that we need to deal with. There is an area of our heart that needs to be brought under submission to God so that we can act in love, that we can forgive, and we can pray for those who have wronged us that they will come to know Christ. It's a hard thing. I would recommend that you take God's Word and maybe some notes from this message or the thoughts that you're running through your mind or your heart right now and go somewhere this week and sit with the Lord and say, I have some unforgiveness here. And my friends, if you have refused to forgive, the Bible's very clear that God's not going to forgive you. There is a forgiveness eternity at stake here. And I beg you, please don't make a temporary justice cost you an eternity with God.